Amen. Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, you open them up or you'll find Psalm 35 in your worship folder. Jeremy mentioned in his prayer of thanksgiving, um, Valley of Vision, which is a book of Puritan prayers. Um, you've never, you want to say, how, how, how do I pray? I just don't know how to pray. Get the Valley of Vision. Read that. Okay. Um, the, the Puritans were rich and deep in their understanding of Christ, and it came out in their prayers. Um, just as an aside, when we were interviewing Alex, uh, three or four years ago, we were at lunch, and I, and I said, what are you doing in your devotions? And he said, well, I'm working through the Valley of Vision. I, s- I said, you're hard. Okay, you, you're reading, uh, you're, you're 25, you're reading Puritan prayers, you're, you need to be here. Okay, so Psalm 35, you're able, let's stand as I read the word of God. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, open our eyes and open our hearts to your word, that we would understand it and we would understand how to pray for you to intervene in this world, for you to intervene in our hearts, in the hearts of those that we love. Give us understanding, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Psalm 35, the Psalm of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek after my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. Let destruction come upon him when he does not know it. Let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his destruction. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord, exulting in his salvation. All my bones shall say, O Lord, who is like you, delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him, the poor and needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But I, when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about as though I grieved for my friend or my brother as one who laments his mother. I bowed down in mourning. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered They gathered together against me. Wretches whom I did not know tore at me without ceasing. Like profane mockers at a feast, they gnash at me with their teeth. How long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction, my precious life from the lions. I will thank you in the great congregation. In the mighty throng, I will praise you. Let not those rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes. And let not those wink the eye who hate me without cause, for they do not seek peace. They do not speak peace. 
But against those who are quiet in the land, they devise words of deceit. They open wide their mouths against me. They say, aha, aha, our eyes have seen it. You have seen, O Lord, be not silent. O Lord, be not far from me. Awake and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, our heart's desire. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. Let them be put to shame and disappointed altogether who rejoice at my calamity. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves against me. Let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, Great is the Lord who delivers in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. This is one of the imprecatory songs. Imprecatory. We don't usually use that word uh, in our world today outside of theological language. But uh, the imprecatory psalm, Psalm 7, Psalm 35, Psalm 69, and Psalm 109, they are psalms asking the Lord to bring down judgment upon David's enemies. And they seem to grow in intensity as it goes along. Psalm 7 is the Uh, least imprecatory and Psalm 109 is the most there are 30 curses on David's enemies in Psalm 109 he just goes on and on and on I'll I'll read a little bit for you in a minute but how many times in your life have you thought that person deserves to be crushed by God I mean I don't but they do Okay, the Lord really needs to show up and teach them a lesson you know, what, what do they say? One going your way and three going back towards me. So we always have to be careful with imprecatory psalms or an imprecatory prayer. When we are praying the judgment of God upon someone, something, we have to first examine our own hearts. So how are Christians supposed to think about imprecatory prayers? Or imprec- I'm going to say that word too many times so I can't say it imprecations okay imprecations psalms that ask the Lord to destroy an enemy Al Mohler wrote it's very tempting to pray imprecatory prayers and to think imprecatory thoughts or to send imprecatory greeting cards (laughs) we all know people to whom we'd be tempted to send one okay I'm praying for you that the Lord would destroy you. <laughs> I want you to have a Merry Christmas because I'm praying this will be your last. Yeah, something like along those lines. Well, how are we to, to deal with this? Jesus said we are to forgive our enemies, to patiently endure. So that seems to indicate that maybe these psalms are no longer appropriate in the Christian life. But of course, evil and injustice persecution there's still a factor in the world growing in many places growing in various ways so where do the prayers of imprecation come and fit into the life of the believer now these psalms are inspired and what we know about the word of god it is his word he has 
protected it. He has ensured that we have it. Everything here is for us today. It's still, it will still be valid 2,000 years from now if the Lord doesn't return. So it is for us. How are we to understand it? And what are we to do? How are we to pray concerning those who are unjust, who slander us, who pursue evil against us, who pursue evil against the things of God, who desire to remove God and his influence in society? Do we pray, and I'm quoting from Psalm 109, as, as David writes, do we pray for their posterity to be cut off, their names to be blotted out, that the sins of their mothers not be blotted out? Now he's, he's meddling. He brought in my, my mother, okay? That, that's serious. Those are serious things that David is praying that the Lord would do in his enemies' lives. Do we, as, as Christians today, just pray for their conversion and, and leave it at that? I mean, do we become part of an assassination plot uh, to, to get rid of the really bad leaders? I mean, some Christians, towards the end of Hitler's rule, joined in that. These are difficult questions for the believer in today's world. And before we can pray any of those prayers, we've got to pray here. And we've got to look at our own lives. And we've got to make sure that we're not praying in a selfish way. Lord, they just are a thorn in my side. Can you just get rid of them for me? Because I don't want to have to do it. I want you to do it. There are plenty of unrighteous individuals out there today who purposely promote evil and a whole slew of things that are contrary to, to God's what God says is right. And as we learned a few weeks ago, bad behavior is what? Is bad for you. Okay? You're going to pursue bad behavior. It's going to be bad for you. Now, what that really dealt with our health and and things like that but if you pursue bad behavior sooner or later god's going to get you okay and and his judgment will come upon you is it inappropriate to pray that those who are involved in in bad things face the consequences of their bad behavior should we who are offended seek to forgive them even though their sins are affecting us negatively? I mean, Jesus says, how many times are we to forgive? Seventy times seven. That's a lot of forgiveness. It's a lot of forgiveness. What about when evil seems to rule entire societies? How should we pray then? Should we pray for the destruction of the rulers of China, the ruler of South Korea, or North Korea? South Korea is okay. North Korea. In this world, the righteous are opposed by the unrighteous because of a variety of reasons. Okay? But we know that every government, every system within society is not evil in and of itself, although there are evil systems. Communism was an evil system because it demanded the destruction of God within society. But they're evil because they're filled with people like us. You think, well, I, if I was the ruler, I would do what was right. Yeah, what power does what? Corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, I think that's pretty true. See, the, the systems are bad because they're full of fallen men and women. Okay? Whether it's government or business or even the church, we have to always be careful that we are pursuing God's will and not Randy's will describe this What's the word I want? <laughs> Randy's will. Uh, it, uh, uh, 
I'm sorry I'm blanking, but pretending to be God's will. Okay? Oh, yeah, this is God's will when really it's what Randy wants. No, we have to pursue the Lord's will. It's not illegitimate to use the example of imprecations in the Psalms to pray for the judgment of God's enemies. God's enemies. Whose name did I not include in that? Randy's enemies. Okay, God's enemies. Now, God's enemies hopefully are my enemies too, but first and foremost, we are to pray for God's judgment. What's the last prayer in the Bible? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's, an impre- that's a prayer of imprecation. Because when Christ comes, what happens? Judgment. Judgment comes. Okay, the destruction of those who are outside of Christ comes. When we pray for something that that we long for, the glorious return of of our Lord and Savior, that's good for us, it's bad for everybody else who's outside of Christ. Okay, and that's judgment. When Jesus comes again, God's enemies are going to face the due penalty of their sin. Those who are in Christ will not because Christ has already paid that price for those who are his. Our sin rested upon Christ on the cross. He has shed his blood that we might be forgiven of our sin. Those who are outside of Christ will pay the penalty for their sin. So our longing for Christ's return for the final judgment is always, always has to be preceded by our longing for for the ones we love and we know and all to be gathered in to Christ. The author of each of these psalms is David, and he was not particularly known for enacting personal vengeance on his enemies, but he was often known for forgiving them. Remember, uh, it says here, uh, I wore sackcloth, I afflicted myself with fasting, I prayed, I went about as grieved for a brother. Okay, when you were ill, I was, I was praying for you. Okay, he's known for kind of forgiving his enemies, but in these passages, David claims innocence, and and when David's not innocent, he owns up to it in the Psalms. Now, sometimes we know it took him a while to to confess his sin, but he owns up to his sin. In in these Psalms, he's not guilty; he is innocent. So the praying for and the rejoicing at the fall of the wicked is not something that only happens here from David. It happens in a lot of other places, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, where judgment comes upon the enemies of the Lord. I'll I'll take you back to uh, Elijah and from the book of Kings. And there you have Elijah, and uh, it's a showdown between he and the prophets of Baal. Okay, they're up on the mountain, and the prophets of Baal, they, they... build their altar and Elijah builds his and he says whosoever God brings down fire and destroys it that's the true God so that he lets the prophets of Baal go first and you know this and they dance around and get no action destroy his and when they're all tired out and finally give up rebuilds his altar throws water on it throws water on it throws water on it prays and the fire comes down and consumes it and what happens to all the prophets of Baal He says, get them, kill them. Hundreds of the prophets of Baal are killed. And then, of course, Jezebel says, if you're not dead by by tonight, I'm I'm not going to eat or sleep until you're dead. And he runs off and 
and we know what happens, the Lord does great things in his life. So that's the Old Testament. In Revelation 18, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and the apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. That's the destruction of Babylon towards the end times. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, blind guides. You pile up all these things on people and make salvation impossible to achieve because it's by works in their minds. So how wicked does somebody have to be for us to be able to pray an imprecatory prayer against them? I'm sure that our brothers and sisters from the Ukraine are praying for the removal of Putin, whatever way the Lord deems fit. Okay, But is it, is it okay to pray against my neighbor who doesn't pick up after his dog in my yard? Lord, I saw that dog out there again. When are you going to bring judgment upon it? You know, I saw some cars go by. No. Is it okay to pray against my spouse who doesn't act like the way I want them to? Is it okay to pray for the destruction of a a social or political organization that's moving against the things of God. It's, it's an important distinction to remember. The imprecatory psalms are not written from the perspective of a private individual, but they are written from the perspective of the king of God's people, David. It is a righteous judgment that he is calling for. A judgment upon those who are unrighteous and who purposely pursue evil. Purposely pursue those things which God hates. They oppose godliness. They oppose goodness. They oppose truth. It's a war. John Piper reminds us, life is war. And prayer is designed to extend the kingdom of God into fruitless enemy territory. The church must remember when she assembles that she is at war with this world. We are not here to coddle the world. We are not here to get along. The world hates us. Good. It hated Christ. It should hate us. But we have to find the balance. We have to be in the world. We have to function in the world. But yet we have to have that expectation that they should hate us. They should hate the message of grace. They should hate the message of love and of Christ and of redemption. The condemnation of sin. Remember, it's a two-edged sword. It cuts, cuts two ways. To forgive a wrong done to us personally is commendable. That's, that's what we should do. We should overlook, forgive a wrong done. But what about maybe those in authority over us? Those who oppress the poor, those who oppress those who have no power to resist. In our society here in the United States, if we don't, if if we think a a legislator is doing that kind of thing, then we vote them out of office, right? Not everybody gets voted out that we don't like, but that's, that's the process. The private citizen can pray, as we've talked about before, revival or removal. Lord, revive that heart revive that individual, put faith in their life, remind them of what they learned in Sunday school when they were a kid, whatever it takes to change their heart. And if you don't change their heart, Lord, remove them. Remove them from office. Remove them from that position. Transfer them to make them somebody else's problem. Okay. I think it was appropriate to pray for the destruction of Hitler or Stalin or Mao. They, they were so evil. I mean, 
tens of millions of people died because of their actions. Derek Thomas writes, There comes a point when it is right to use those imprecatory songs. I'd pray that God would save his soul or that he would destroy the tyrant. The two could be synonymous. There are occasions when rulers in the world are so wicked and so evil that we might pray these psalms appropriately. In praying them, this is not a desire for me personally to take the ruler out. It needs to be an act of God to remove a source of great evil so that relief and blessing may come to his disciples. When there is so much oppression from a ruler, we pray that God will remove them. Now, because we understand the sovereignty of God, how did that ruler get there in the first place? Well, it was God's business to allow that, or maybe even put that person in that position. So praying the imprecatory psalms needs to be done carefully, with forethought, and the occasion needs to be correct, and we must pray with an awareness at first of our own sin. It has to be a balanced approach, and that's what David is doing here in Psalm 35. So the psalm breaks into three parts. Each begins with a prayer and ends with a note of confidence and hope in God's intervention. And when God intervenes, it is a just intervention. Okay? It is not random. It is not, there's no, uh, he's not tainted by the sin that we would be that make it a selfish intervention. It is just and right. And we see often that David includes things like, uh, Lord, destroy them, but I give you thanks. Okay? Crush them, Lord, and, and I know you are good. So these are both things that go on here. Now, the context for the psalm is probably one of three things. How do you like that? One of three things. When Saul is hunting David down through the wilderness, or when David is being slandered unjustly, or during a particular time of battle, 1 Samuel 23 might be the application there. Um, but we see this, or it could have been he wrote this for one and then added on to it as it went. And in its final form, David put all this together. But basically, it's Lord, rise and judge my enemies. And often it's judge my enemies with the judgment that they are putting on me. Okay. Make, remember, catch them in their own net, that type of thing. It's appeal, an appeal to the Lord, and David has a clear conscience here. So there's an introduction. David appeals to God to judge his enemies. Contend, O Lord, contend with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of a shield and a buckler and rise for my help. Draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Military language. Lord, come and destroy them. Come and kill them. Come and use your shield. Come and use your spear. These are the enemies of me. Therefore, they're the enemies of your people. Come and bring judgment upon them. There are plenty of times that the Lord does this. He shows up to fight and destroy the enemies of his people. And I'm just going to list one of them. Well known. We find it in Isaiah. We find it in 2 Kings. We find it in Chronicles. When the Assyrians come upon Jerusalem and the king is Hezekiah, and Hezekiah begins to start preparations for the siege. And if you've ever been to Israel, you may have seen uh, uh, 
I don't know if you can go down into it now, but you can look down. It's uh, the well that, that Hezekiah had dug at this time, 1,500 feet through solid rock. So what he did is he, as, as the Assyrians were coming, he, he dug this well and, and it consumed the outside springs and all the water came here, so it denied the Assyrians water. So he's taking the right precautions, humanly speaking, but he's also taking the right precautions spiritually. Hezekiah gathers everybody in the town square, encourages them, reminding them the Assyrians have a big arm of flesh, translating loosely, but we have the Lord. So are we going to fear or are we going to trust the Lord? So in 2 Kings 18, Sennacherib, who's the Assyrian, marches, comes to Jerusalem, and he sends in his, his commander to talk and scare the people. And he says, who of all the gods of these countries have been able to save his land from me? So all the other gods, and they're all pagan, and they're just pieces of rock or stone, have fallen to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians say, your God can't stand against us, but what does the Lord say? Trust in me. Trust in me. So during the siege, Hezekiah puts on sackcloth, the sign of mourning. But Isaiah comes to him and assures him that the city will not be destroyed because God is going to fight for them. And we've seen God fight for his people in a variety of ways. You know, hey Gideon, you got too many guys, get rid of them. Get rid of a few thousand, get rid of 10,000, get rid of another, okay? Get down, okay Lord, I've got 300, you think this is enough? And the Lord says, well, you've got me, that's all that you need. So here he says, it, it, that Sennacherib will be led out of Judah with hooks through his nose. Now, for those of you who have any dealing with a farm or anything like that, you've seen a bull with a ring in their nose. Sometimes it's not always a ring. Sometimes it's just wires that go through a bull's nose. Now, a bull is about 2,000 pounds of muscle and meanness. Okay, and how do you do with that? Well, you, if you come up and you flick that wire in the bull's nose, you see the bull go like this because it really hurts. Well, the, the strange thing is the Assyrians hauled out people from towns in Israel with fish hooks through their nose. Now, think about that, okay? If we all lined up together and all had a fish hook through our nose and the line went to the next one who had a fish hook through their nose and one of them stumbled. Oh, okay. That's, so, but the thing is, Sennacherib, you're going to be led out by a fish hook. Oh, he doesn't think so, but that's the promise. And that night, 2 Kings 19, an angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. He, the Lord sent the angel and the Lord fought for his people and judged those who were unrighteousness. When all the people arose early in the morning, what a sight. 185,000 dead bodies surrounding the city. What happened that night? The Lord came in his judgment. Back to Psalm 35. So David wanted those who sought his life to be disgraced, to be turned back in, in dismay. He hoped that they would be trapped by their own devices. And I'm just giving you a, a summation of, 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 of this psalm here. He pleads his case for the Lord, appealing to God in, in words that are used in a courtroom to, 
to come and challenge and judge his enemies and prove their guilt. They repay my good with evil. Okay, They slandered him. He has acted righteously. He has prayed for them. I put on sackcloth. I prayed for them. And they're returning my goodness with this evil. So he calls on God to judge his enemies. And in fact, if you have 19, verse 19, let not those who rejoice over me who are wrongfully my foes, and let not those wink the eye who hate me without a cause. Okay? Now, now, the word is not translated here uh, in, in, in this fashion, but basically the, the concept is those who gloat over me. And he says it twice more before the end of the song. Those who gloat over me. Those who make false accusations. Those who maliciously mock me. They're rejoicing in David's failure. They're just so excited when David fails. And, and he says, Lord, get them. Get them. And then at the end, we see this list of imperatives that David uses when he calls upon the Lord. Don't be silent. Awake. Rise to my defense, Lord. Let all those who gloat over me be put to shame. So we ask the Lord, whatever they've given to me, Lord, give to them. And as often as the case, towards the end, 27, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad and say evermore, great is the Lord who delights in the welfare of his servant. Then my tongue shall tell of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. It's almost as if he's saying, you know, the Lord makes this promise. And whether he comes through or not, I'm still going to trust him and I'm still going to praise him. We've seen that in another place. Three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There they are. They're going to be put in the fiery furnace. What's it say? If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And if not, be it known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image. We're going to trust the Lord that he could do this. But if he doesn't, that's not going to change our trust in him. So let's remember, this psalm is not seeking personal vengeance, but the advancement of God's glory. So how do we ask God today to deal with the enemies that we face? Now, not not my enemy personally, but God's enemies those who want to increase sin, those who want to make it easier to pursue evil, those who want to make evil rule in our society. We find them in so many places today within society, whether it be those who who promote ungodliness and, and make fun of those who want to be godly, those who want to mutilate 12-year-olds, those who want to expose our children to abominations and things like that. Lord, do we, should we pray for their destruction? Why are these evils pursued so diligently in our society? Because they're stupid. That's the answer. Now, that's my answer, but Scripture has a nicer way of saying it. They lack wisdom. Wisdom. 
Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom starts, with the recognition of the role that God plays. He is sovereign over all, and that role is the judge of every man. Proverbs 8 says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. If you fear the Lord, you will hate evil. If you fear the Lord, you are wise, and if you are wise, you will hate evil. There's no sure, no sadder evidence of a corrupt or wicked society, a society that has abandoned what is right and good, that it will not tolerate anger against sin. Think about that for a minute. Does our society tolerate anger against sin? Who, who gets persecuted? The sinner or the one who hates the sin? the one who speaks against the sin. It is appropriate to pray for the revival of souls, revival of those within the government, revival of those within the world. But it's also appropriate to pray for God's judgment upon those who purposely, habitually, unrepentantly pursue what is evil and what is unjust. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this, this is, uh, we have to be so careful in this territory that it is not my person, not my world that I'm concerned about, but your glory. That you would judge what is evil so that you might be seen. That you would bring destruction upon those who are unrighteous. Not, not those that I don't like, but those who are unrighteous, Lord. We know you're sovereign. We know your hand of providence works within this world. We know you bring into power people, and we know you remove from power people. But sin touches us all. We have to be very careful that when we pray these things that our own sin has not gotten the best of us, Lord, we know that when we pray, come, Lord Jesus, we're praying for judgment. And that will happen. There is no stopping that. Lord, we pray that as we are here, in these days that you have placed us here in this world, you will move our hearts to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to demonstrate his love, to show forth what is right and just and true and beautiful, that our minds and hearts will be fixed upon those things and that the hearts of those who do not know you yet will be changed and forevermore held secure in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing hymn 96, a song.